0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, series 5. This is lesson 31. We're coming towards the end of the year now. So, we are looking at um, Christ fulfills the law. This is on page 15, in my book anyway, chapter 19. And um, we'll just begin in Matthew chapter 5. Um, Jesus now goes on to address the law and the prophets in verses 17 and 18, and he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will uh, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. In his commentary on this verse, Leon Morris says that the law which is the books of, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, was scripture par excellence for the Jews. And they examined it with minute thoroughness. They discovered, for example, that there are 613 commandments in this part of the scripture, f- 248 positive, 365 negative. Uh, and this opened up wonderful possibilities on discussion of those commandments and on keeping the letter of the law in such a way as to find little place for weightier matters. That's the reason that Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 23:23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cummin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, which is the things he talked about, he said, but without leaving the others undone. Amen? In other words, keeping the law meant that you kept it all, not just the parts that interested you and that you could use to your advantage like the, uh, the Pharisees who would rob people of their possession in the name of God. It is because of this hypocrisy of these regi- religious leaders that Jesus was constantly at odds with them because they constantly focused their, all their attention on the letter of the law and their interpretation of it, never the true spirit of the law. In fact, John MacArthur says that the phrase, the law and the prophets, speak of the entirety of the old testament scriptures not the rabbinical excuse me interpretations of them that's where we need to stop okay <laughs> all right see one of the things that happened was the reason that jesus first of all says that he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets was there were a lot of laws there but the thing is that what what these people started to do was you know they started to break down all the laws into all their little bits And what happened was they got so involved in all the little bits that you can spend time, you know, this is where you have to really be careful that you don't waste time on, you know, you know how the old saying goes, don't sweat the small stuff. This is exactly what they were doing. They were sweating the small stuff. They got to all the little things and, you know, then they started asking, well, what does this law actually mean? And then they started to do something and that was, they started to interpret what God was saying. Now, this is going to be a big thing. We're going to come to something soon. They started to then write down their interpretation of the law. And then they made it law. Do you understand? So they didn't make the law the law. They made the interpretation of the law the law. And so, this is the problem that Jesus was going to have with them, or they were going to have with Jesus. See, He came and fulfilled the law. He didn't come to fulfill their interpretation of the law. Which is the reason why they would always say he's breaking the law. Do you all remember that? Okay, it was never God's law. It was the interpretation of the law. And some stupid preacher, sorry, that's what I call him. Okay, I'm not repenting. (laughs) Okay, Said, well, you know, Jesus did break the law, but for good reason. Oh my goodness, I wanted to throw something. You know, really, it, it, it made me mad. Because if he did, one time, then he lied. Do you understand the, 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 the ramifications of what this guy said? If he broke the law, then when he said, I did not come to break the law, but to fulfill it, he lied. One law, if you just broke one law, he's lied. And then, guess what? He's no longer the sinless lamb of God. Then he's going to go to the cross for his own sin. He can't do it for us. Are you getting this? Are you getting the seriousness of that statement? And th- that's why it just, it just I went nuts. I was like, my God, man, get out of the pulpit, go sell cars or something. I don't know. Do, <laughs> do something else. But, you know, this is, you know, let me just take a minute to just share something because of it. This is the reason why churches go off track, because they don't know what's actually going on. You know, and then they have a form of godliness, but it's not really God. Can I say it again? There is a form of godliness, which means it all looks kind of right. It sounds kind of right, but you always feel like something is off. Have you all ever felt that? You know, and that's that's this. This is what we're talking about. and uh, you know, I, Because I don't want it to just be something Old Testament to you. I don't want it to be something, well, Jesus had a problem with it and we don't have that problem today. I really don't want that to be the case. The whole reason that we're going through everything that Jesus did, everything he said is because we need to see how it applies to us today, and we need to make sure that we stay well away from it, and also are um, clued in, you know, can I use that term? (laughs) Okay, so that when we see something, we kind of go, oh, I know this, I know what this is. Instead of being like so many other Christians today, they just kind of say yes to everything, you have no idea, and then they're wondering how come their life is falling apart. Seriously, family, if you base your life on the interpretation, don't expect too much to happen. But if you base it on God's law, on His word, then expect miracles. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's let's continue. Now you see why it stopped, right? All right. <laughs> um. This was an ongoing problem, which is the reason why I said the next thing. This was, an, I'm in the second paragraph, this was an ongoing problem for Jesus throughout his ministry. With the scribes and Pharisees, I'm on page 16, with the scribes and Pharisees constantly accusing him of not keeping the law. When in fact he was not keeping their law, which by this time was actually in opposition to God's law. And which of course he kept perfectly. The reason that I say that is this, if they were jumping up and down and saying you're breaking the law... Let me ask you a question. If he is keeping God's law perfectly, but in their eyes, he's breaking the law, what does that tell you? That something in their law is now in opposition to God's law. And so that's the reason why they should have figured this out. They should have said, hang on a minute. If he is doing all of these miracles, obviously, because people had said that the common people had the common sense to say, this kind of man can't be doing this kind of stuff unless God is with him. And God wouldn't be with him if he kept breaking all God's laws. Are you with me? Okay. And so, if these religious leaders who thought themselves to be intellects could just have the common sense, like all the little people that didn't know any better, and said, well, maybe they're right, (laughs) okay? Maybe we're missing something here. In getting caught in all the details, maybe we're missing the big picture. Maybe maybe God is on His side. And then if He's breaking our law, maybe our law is wrong. Maybe we need to go and re-examine what we've been writing down. And the burdens that we've been putting on people, that we ourselves aren't carrying... Which is why Jesus said, You put burdens on people that you yourselves don't carry. Amen. Do you know why? Because He can't carry them. And God won't give you anything more than what you can bear. But religious people will. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Moving on. That's why Jesus says again, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Amen. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, actually, the honor which Jesus bestowed on the law or the prophets was higher by far than that in which it was held by the scribes and Pharisees. They buried the divine oracles under a load of tradition and regarded the doing of the law to be the only way to obtain salvation. Therefore, in reality, they were the ones who were setting aside the Old Testament. Let me explain that to you. See, they had this duality. They said, well, the only way that you can obtain salvation is by keeping the law. However, they buried that very law under all their traditions. Do you see then? So they're saying, well, this is the only way to gain salvation. However, you're never ever going to see that because you've buried it with all of this rest of this stuff. That's why the rich young ruler came and said, what must I do to get saved? You know, then Jesus says, Give everything away. <laughs> you know? Because I got, I got a thief in my ministry. He's stealing. I need, I need a treasurer. You seem like you can handle money. That was, the, that was the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus was looking for a replacement. And the guy walked away sorrowful. Can I say Jesus was sorrowful too? You know, people miss that side of things. Anyway, moving on. That's the reason Jesus brings a charge against them. In Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, when he says to the scribes and Pharisees who were accusing him and his disciples of breaking the law, he says this. He says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 7, I mean, Mark 7, 7. And in, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, listen, the commandments of men. Do you now see what that is? See, I started, I didn't know all this. <laughs> you know, when I read this verse first, I thought, what commandments of men? I mean, you'd think these people, of all people, would stay away from that and stay with the commandments of God. But I didn't realize that these commandments of men were the commandments they wrote. It was their interpretation of the law. And then, of course, they would want to keep them. Because they were so proud and pride-filled, Remember how Jesus talked about, you know, don't go sit at the front of the table at a feast, sit at the back, and then they will bring you forward. But if you sit at the front, the only way only place after that is back. <laughs> you know? And if you if you thought too much of yourself, guess what? You're gonna be humiliated in front of everybody. But if you humbled yourself and put yourself in the back, then it's so much better when they come and say, Oh no, 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 come up and sit here. And it might be the second from the front, but you know, the person that gets put Second from the front, when then the seventh, you know, seventh last row, as opposed to the person that sits in the front and gets put back one row. Are you all getting it? Same place. One's exalted, the other one is, you know, humbled. <laughs> okay, alright. So, and verse 8, it, it goes on from there. So, first of all, again, verse 7, he says, And in, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, notice, laying aside... The commandment of God. So not only did they come up with their own interpretation, now they began to think, well, you know, our interpretation and God's word are kind of a little bit at odds with each other. So if we have a choice, we'll go with what we said. Hello. Alright, so watch verse 8. And for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. The stuff you came up with. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, verse 9, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Can I say that churches today are committing this sin? Exactly, yeah. They come up with stuff. They come up with interpretation of the scriptures. That they then sell and then, then they start forcing down people's throats. Listen. And when somebody else um, corrects them with other scriptures, they don't want to hear about it. They're like, oh no brother, we're not in bondage to those scriptures. You all heard this? This is what they say. Can I show you something? While they take scriptures that suit them and put people in bondage with those scriptures. Are you all with me? So they don't want to be in bondage to any scripture, but bless God, people better be in bondage to them, because they better do the thing that works for them. Hello? And how stupid people are. You know, it really saddens me. That's why Jesus said, you know, these people are without a shepherd. There are you know, people that are taking advantage of them out there, in the name of God, calling themselves pastors, and they should be business people. They just And they can sell their product really well. And that's pretty much it. And it's sad how so many people get sold out to that. And they can't even figure it out. And I could go on, but I won't. I've got some great points, but I won't. Okay, <laughs> alright? Let me, let me keep going here. Praise God. Uh, where are we? And he goes on to conclude... In Mark chapter 17, verse 13, by saying to them, in fact, you are the ones making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. Notice that instead of handing the word of God down, they've been handing their traditions down. Do you see something going on now? This is the reason why after generations of handing their traditions down, the word of God kind of got lost. Then comes Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John one one, That's right. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and caused a whole bunch of problems. <laughs> okay? Because suddenly, the Word that they had buried took on flesh. And one day, the thing that they buried so far down, which they thought we're never going to see that again, comes on two feet. And my goodness, did He cause problems. Because, funny, He did this... It didn't say, and their interpretations became flesh and dwelt among us. <laughs> okay, It said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there was a huge fight between the word and their tradition, which they held on to. Do you understand? They have handed it down and held on to them with such fervor that they had literally come against God and his word and didn't even realize it, even to the point of murdering that individual that represented the law, which they so prided themselves in keeping. Or so they thought. Okay. This has always been in strategy from the very beginning, to take what was living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and bury it, in the name of God, under all kinds of useless traditions. I'm on the next page. So that it would ultimately lose all of its power, and effectiveness to overcome Him, and His kingdom. This is very important. This is very important. Uh, let me take a minute here, and share this with you. See, the whole reason that, that the devil does this, and uses religious people to do it, because the common people then don't know. See? They, they bury it to such a degree, that it no longer has any power. See? See? It didn't say that the, the, the interpretations of the word has power. It says that the word has power. Please catch what I'm about to tell you. So if I was a shrewd um, enemy, what I would do is I would take the thing that is lethal to me. Okay, if, the, if you know, somebody uses this, this is what would kill me, okay? Lethal to me. And I would bury it under stuff that sounded like it. Listen. So it's almost like you have a sword, you're swinging a sword, except the sheath is on it still. So the sword is the word, but the sheath is the, is the interpretation. And you're swinging and you're hitting, but it's not kind of doing what it's meant to do. Instead of slicing, it just, you know, kind of just knocks things over. And the thing keeps getting back up. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because the sheath is still on. And if you ever discovered what the true word of God is, you'd be pulling the sheath off. And then the devil will go, Oh, I'm leaving. (laughs) Okay, see you later, bye. Okay. Do you know why? Because now it is the word of God. Do you understand? And this is exactly what he does. Even today, it's buried in so much of the traditional denominational churches. It's buried so deep that you don't actually hear the word of God. You hear the hymn books. And you hear the stuff that goes on that day, you know. And thank God some of, the, 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 you know, some of these denominations now are standing up and starting to preach the word. Some of them, you know, and, and that's awesome. But even then, they have to keep to their tradition in whatever they do. That's right. Which is what's sad. So they're fighting on one hand to preach the word, and they're kind of uh, pressured from above, can I say that? Okay, to keep to what you're meant to be doing. And I know a lot of people have started to break off from the traditional churches. And they still want their Anglican service. But they want to preach the word. (laughs) And they're going, I don't know how to do this now. I know that we had, you know, in our... uh, uh, When I was going to church uh, at this place a long, long time ago. The place where I went to Bible college and so on and so forth. We actually had an Anglican minister there. And he said he could no longer stay in the Anglican church and preach their stuff. Because he wanted the word of God was a lovely man you know and he you could just see his heart and you could see this guy was a true minister of God that had just been oppressed and kept under for so long he just had enough and he said you know if that means I have to leave this place to go and become you know do what I want to do and be true to God then I'm going to do that I took my head off to the guy that's a hard thing to do man you know So, uh, you know, I'm not saying everybody is. That's that's the point I want to make. There are people out there that are frustrated. Because, you know, light is becoming more light and dark is becoming darker. The division between the two is becoming more and more significant. There was a lot of gray at one point in time. It is less and less. You know, anyway. Moving on. In fact, in his commentary, Leon Morris says that Jesus was in no way contradicting the Mosaic Law. Did you hear that? He was in no way contradicting the Mosaic law, though he was opposed to the legalistic type of religion that the scribes had built upon it. Hallelujah. I like this man. <laughs> okay? Amen. Therefore, when Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he was not only going to bring all that scripture prophesied to its final conclusion, but that he would also reveal the true and full meaning of the scriptures as well. Praise God. So he, came, you know, he didn't just come to say, okay, you guys have been doing this wrong, but let me show you the right way of doing this. See, that's better, isn't it? Isn't it so much better? See, this is the problem Jesus was having. He would teach the masses. He would be saying to them, Look at the birds, look at the grass. He would be just using all kinds of things. He'd say, you, you, You've heard this, but let me tell you, this is the truth of the matter, so to speak. Okay? And so he was just, and I, and I just, you know, in my sanctified imagination, okay, I could see people nodding and going, Yeah, fine. Mabel, I finally get what they're saying. I don't know what the other guy was on about. 50 years I've been going to the synagogue and I don't know anything. Except where the front door is and how to get in and out. And that's my seat. And how come you're sitting there? No. <laughs> okay? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to say. Right? Here I'm out in the grass, you know. And, and this guy's talking about the stuff I'm sitting on. He tells me to look up and I actually get what he says. How many people do you think went home that day going, Wow, I actually learned something. You know, maybe this Word of God stuff isn't that boring. Maybe the guy doing it is boring. <laughs> I need, we need to find another synagogue. <laughs> okay? Amen. Hallelujah. All right. In his commentary, John MacArthur writes We are not to think of Jesus' teaching in the verses that follow in any way, intends to alter abrogate or replace the moral content of the old testament law. That means he wasn't trying to change anything. He neither gives a new law nor modifies the old, but rather explains the true significance of the moral content of Moses' law and the rest of the Old Testament. In other words, you know, again he's sort of saying, you know, this is what it means. This is what it said, this is how you appropriate in your life. This is how we apply it in your life. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Instead of people going, well, you know, here is this, and then you know, uh, uh, we did not say brother, but Rabbi so and so says this about that verse, and then but we have Rabbi that person saying that about the verse, uh, so you pick your, you take your choice. Everybody goes, I don't know which one, I don't know which one's right. That's really what used to happen in the synagogue. They would they would give opinions of everybody, and people would not know what to believe. Remember again, if you don't know what to believe, then you're no threat to the devil. Amen? Because only when you believe in your heart, will things start to work. Amen? Confusion does nothing for you. It it destroys everything. Alright, that's why beginning in verse 21 and all the way to the end of chapter 5, Jesus is going to say, you have heard. Referring to what they had been previously taught, and why he then goes on to say, but I say to you. Hallelujah. Now, returning to Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> following his promise to fulfill the law and the prophets, Jesus goes on to show how serious his claim was by saying in verse 18, For assuredly I say to you... Now, Leon Morris says that the, that the word that's translated assuredly or verily in the King James is actually the word that we translate as Amen. Now, listen, the normal use of the term was as a congregational response to the words uttered by someone leading the congregation. The peculiarity of Jesus' use is that he put it at the beginning of important things. So, in other words, you know, I'll be up here and I'll be, you know, you see this sometimes in some churches. You know, the person will go blah, 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 and the whole congregation goes, Amen. <laughs> and he goes, blah, 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 and everything goes, Amen. You know what Jesus did? He says, "Amen." Everybody goes, "What did he say?" And then he says it, <laughs> <You know? laughs> because the "Amen" usually is on the back end. He stick it in the front end because he's going with well, the only time they wake up is when they go "Amen." So <laughs> I'll say "Amen," and they'll go, "What did he say?" And then I'll tell him, "No, I'm just joking with you." But that's you know, <laughs> instead of you hearing something and acknowledging it, he's saying, "Acknowledge what I'm about to say," right up front. Get this. Amen? All right. See, I put the Amen. Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) And so Jesus is bringing out the importance of this verse by actually saying at the very beginning, Amen, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Do you see that? Do you see how ludicrous it is then? For somebody to say, yes, we know that Jesus broke some of the laws, but for good reason. Amen? Okay. In this verse, Jesus now turns his attention to the law and makes specific reference to the jots and the titles within it. In the Hebrew, very quickly, okay? A jot is the letter Y pronounced uh, Yod. And it's the smallest letter in the entire alphabet. It's a Greek e- equivalent to the word Iota. Where we get the phrase "there was not one iota of truth to that tale," you remember you know that, yeah, okay, that's what it is. Okay, all right. Following this, we have the word tittle, which is a hook that distinguishes one Hebrew letter from another. For example, a point or a hook at the edge of a Hebrew letter b, pronounced Beth, would change it to a k, pronounced Kaf. So, if you just had this tiny little hook on it, it would change the whole sound of the letter. Are you all with me? Okay, so, knowing this now, these little marks were so important that if a scribe copied a biblical manuscript and it was found that he missed just one jot or one tittle, okay, so he did a straight line instead of putting a tiny little hook at the end, oh, his pen ran out of ink, you know, and he didn't realize <laughs> I'm trying to say, you know, they keep dipping it in, or oh, whatever, okay. Look, it says the entire copy would have to be destroyed and the whole copying process begun all over again. The reason, here it comes, for such perfection was simple. It had to be written perfectly because there was one coming who was going to fulfill it perfectly. Amen? We're going to take a break there. That, that's a good place to take a break. <laughs> okay, We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll move on from here.